Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I am the Youth Director here at SFBC. This week, Pastor Tim Vaughn shares the next message in our series on the Gospel of John. Enjoy! Welcome here, everyone. In case you weren't here right in the beginning, um, I'm Tim. I'm the Community Life Pastor here at Sardis Fellowship, and we've been going through a sermon series in John's Gospel called John's Gospel That You May Have Life, and we're looking at it through the lens of what the author, John, has said his purpose of the book is, and I'm in a few classes right now. I'm trying to do my master's, and I've had to write a few book reports lately, and it's always very helpful when the author says, here is why I wrote this book. And if he doesn't say that, you have to search through it and try to understand what his point is and purpose. And John has laid it out very clearly what his purpose for him writing that book, that gospel, that historical narrative, why he wrote it. The reason is he wants people to read it and understand who Jesus is and trust in him so that they can have eternal life. It's pretty, pretty simple. He wanted his readers back then in the ancient world to experience that, and he wants you and me here today, this morning, in our context, 2,000 years later, to read his book and understand who Jesus is, put our faith in him, and have eternal life through that. So that's why John wrote the book, and we're going to be looking at it through that lens. And a few weeks ago, Rod gave us an introduction to the book of John, and then he talked about the prologue. So John 1, where it says, you know, the word was with God and the word became flesh, and he talked about how that prologue Um, It really sets out to inspire the rest of the book, and we're going to see themes that go back to that prologue over and over again. And then last week, Dave Lee preached on uh, John the Baptist, who was kind of the forerunner to this word become flesh, who kind of paved the way for his ministry on earth to happen. And now here this morning, we're going to be looking at John 3. So if you have your Bibles, you know, you can open them up. It's also going to be on the screen. But we're going to be looking at John 3, and John 3 has the famous, I think it's the most famous passage in the Bible, John 3.16. It's in there, so we're going to look at it and kind of look at the context around it, which I'm excited about. And in this portion of Scripture now, Jesus is, is on earth, and he's walking the earth, and he starts to encounter people. And we're going to see that he encounters someone who I have grown quite fond of this last week, just thinking deeply about, as deeply as I can. <laughs> um, but I've been thinking about this person who, it, who I would say is a seeker. He's a seeker. He's, he's somebody who is trying to understand what is true. He's trying to understand what is meaningful. He's trying to grapple with the question, is there meaning to life? Is, is there truth? And if there is, how do I access it? And I think that you'll see, as I can see, that he's a very relatable character that i I resonate with him deeply because I too, and maybe you do as well, have the question, is there meaning to life? Is this thing that we're in called life meaningful? Is there actual truth? And if there is, how do we access it and how do we live in the truth? Because I don't think any of us want to live in a lie. Um, You know, we want real life. We don't want a counterfeit life. We want to live in the truth. And if it's out there, how do we get it? How do we access it? Um, and I think we all have that quest, whether we think that explicitly or whether we're kind of going about our day-to-day and it's this deep kind of um, dissatisfaction that there must be more to life. There must be more than I can see and taste and hear and sense. There's got to be more. And so if you have that deep longing, that deep questioning, that deep seeking, you will relate to this character. And um, this theme I think comes out throughout history, through literature, through even movies. And there's one movie in particular that I loved as a kid. 
It's the Matrix, okay? Probably most of you have seen this. If not, I will give a brief synopsis. There's a character named Neo, and he, is, he has the same question. Is there truth? Is there reality? And he has this deep dissatisfaction, and he wonders, um, is there real life? And he thinks, there must be more than I can see, taste, and touch. And so he's on this quest to discover if there's real life, and there's these deep philosophical underpinnings, and me and my brother, when we watched this movie in theaters, when we were younger, we had no clue it was about that. We just saw guns and explosions and people dodging bullets, and we were like, this is awesome, whoa! But like, there's so much more to this movie. <laughs> um, and there's this guy on a quest to discover the meaning of life, and he realizes that he, on his own strength and in his own power, he can't break through and actually discover the meaning of life. He needs someone from outside the system, this guy named Morpheus, from outside the system to come into his closed system, break through, crash through everything that he knows is real, grab him and rescue him out of this closed system to bring him into true and actual life. And he discovers um, that eventually, it's a movie, he discovers that he is part of a computer program and he's rescued out of the computer program. This isn't a simulation, this is real life. But he realizes that he was in a simulation and he's rescued into true life. And I think we're going to see in John 3 that only God's love rescues us into true life. We as well need someone from outside to come into our system and pull us out into true life. And so let's look at, let's look at John 3, um, and let's encounter this character. So if you read John 3, verse 1 to 2, it says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So that's our, that's our guy. A ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay, so Nicodemus, he's this, he, just to set the context, he's a Pharisee, which means that he has his understanding of who God is, he has his understanding of how to relate to God, he has his systems and frameworks where he follows these rules and he obeys these things and that's how you relate to God. He has his status. It says he's first or a ruler among the Jews, so he has worked his way up in the pharisaical system to be first. He's first among his people. Um, he has gained knowledge, and through that knowledge, he has an understanding of who God is. He has status in his world. People look up to him and revere him, respect him, and he's somebody who likes control. He has his systems, and he knows how they work, um, but something has shifted. Somehow or other, he has heard about this Jesus person, maybe even seen some of his signs, and he, he starts to question, man, maybe everything that I've thought about how to relate to God, maybe everything in my life is actually unraveling, and maybe there's a different way, maybe there's true life that I'm missing out on. And he comes to him in the dark, which is really interesting. Um, if you've ever watched a movie, you'll know that you know, often movie uh, creators, producers will make it so that the weather matches what's happening in the movie, like the emotion that you're supposed to feel. So if there's like a romantic scene, it's pouring rain or something. I don't know why it's always raining in romantic scenes. It's like that would be uncomfortable to be rained on. But um, the, the weather matches the, the scene. And so in this, I think John is doing the same thing. It's like it's dark. So he's trying to say something. It's dark. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. What does that mean? Well, I think there's a few things happening. Um, if we go back to the prologue, like Rod was talking about, there are themes of darkness and light. 
So the world is dark, but Jesus is the light of the world. He's come into the world as the light. And so Nicodemus is, is in the dark. He doesn't quite understand everything, but he knows he's seen something that's different. He's seen a light. And so he's in the dark in his understanding. But he's also in the dark, I think, because of his desire to maintain his kind of counterfeit world. He wants to maintain his reputation with the other leaders around him. He wants to maintain his reputation with his buddies and his friends. And he doesn't want to actually admit that maybe the whole system I've been a part of my whole life might not actually be the way to know God. And so he's coming kind of, he doesn't want anyone to know he's coming to Jesus because of what that might mean for his reputation and what it might mean for, um, for him and his friends and his, all the people who look up to him. It might actually mar his reputation to be known as someone who associates so closely with Jesus. And so he's, he receives an answer from Jesus after he says that. And this is what Jesus says. Verily, truly, or very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And so have you ever been reading a, a conversation Jesus is having with people and you kind of think like me, is Jesus having a totally separate conversation? <laughs> like someone will say something and Jesus responds and it's like that doesn't, how does that make sense with what you just said? And so you might expect you know, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. How would you answer that? Maybe Jesus would say, you're right. I have come from God. Gold star, Nicodemus, you have once again proven your knowledge, and here is how you can also know God. But he answers in this very strange, like, what are you talking about? Truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It's like he's speaking in riddles. And it's interesting, he's picking up on, Jesus says, or Nicodemus says, you know, we know, me and my posse, we know that you're from God because of A, B, and C. Um, and that word know, it's like, it can kind of be like, we see, we see, we understand, we know who you are. And Jesus is saying, you can't see anything. <laughs> you can't see anything unless you're born again about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, in all of his answers, maybe you've experienced this in your own life, but in all of his answers, in all of his dialogue and interactions with us, he's always getting to the heart of the question. He's always going underneath, going to the presuppositions and trying to talk about that conversation with Nicodemus. He's trying to say, look, you think you know things, but I'm flipping it on its head. You have this criteria for what makes me from God and he's saying, what gives you the understanding to think that you know what makes me from God or not? That you don't actually see. There's nothing that you can see, Nicodemus, unless you are what? Born again. And so that phrase, I think we've probably all heard that phrase from time to time in our culture and in our Christian context. Um, and the only analogy that kind of keeps coming to my mind, forgive me because it's very strange, but I picture um, like a very... <laughs> like a large uterus and like a womb with a lot of babies in it. Bear with me, please, please bear with me. A womb, okay, with a lot of kids in it. Now imagine this. Imagine that those babies, it's amazing because babies in the womb, they can, they can hear and they can see, right? They can, they can start to feel and they can even taste and they can see shadows from the outside world and they can hear things they can hear murmurings, they can hear heartbeats, right, inside the womb as they, as they grow. Now imagine with me that there are a lot of babies in this womb, 
and they start discerning the world around them. Oh, here's the amniotic fluid, here's these things, and some of them are smarter than others, and some of them kind of grow in rank in the utero school. They are growing in rank, and there's one, this is very awkward, there's one, <laughs> I should have found a different analogy, but I'm going for it. Um, there's a, so one of them makes it to the top of utero school, okay? And they are the smartest of all of them. They understand the world around them, and they even start perceiving, hey, there's sounds, there's sights. I think that that murmur out there might be like the father. Um, and there's shadows, and they hear the heartbeat, and they're like, I think that might be the mother, and they're not too sure. But like everyone reveres this baby because they're the smartest of all the babies, and they can discern things. Now, what would happen if one of those babies were to be born? What would the babies inside the womb think of that baby. Well, they're gone. I don't know where they went. And they would question, is there life after the womb? Like, they just wouldn't know, right? And, um, and, and so I think that Jesus is saying something very interesting. He's saying, look, Nicodemus, you are in a world. You're in your own systems. You're in your own structures of how you relate to God. And you think you know the kingdom of God just like a baby in the womb thinks that they know the real world. They don't. And so just like we would say, well, a human actually only starts to know the real world once they're born and they grow up and they can start perceiving what's actually true. They can actually know the father that was just a murmur behind the scenes. They can actually know the mother that was just a heartbeat. All the things that are shadows and murmurs become real once somebody is actually born, right? That makes sense? So we... So the, but those babies in the womb wouldn't know that. They wouldn't know life outside the womb. They would just know the world inside the womb of what they know. Uh, and Jesus is saying, you have to undergo a complete transformation to be rescued and brought into new life or else I'm just gonna be talking about shadows and murmurs with you. And I don't wanna do that. Jesus doesn't wanna waste his time talking about shadows and murmurs with Nicodemus. He's saying, you've gotta undergo a massive transformation in order for, for you to understand what I'm about and what I'm talking about. And so, thank you for bearing with me through that analogy. I hope it wasn't completely distracting and unhelpful. Um, so Nicodemus, um, he says, in light of that, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus takes it um, very literally. You know, I sympathize with Nicodemus. I don't think he's you know, a, a, a dummy. I think he actually is very intelligent. I think he's just trying to question Jesus. What could you possibly mean? How could you enter a second time into your mother's womb to be born? Um, and I remember just briefly in, in my journey, it's so funny, because in thinking about this passage, um, I remembered my journey. This is before I was a Christian. I was trying to discern what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? What is actually true? And I want to live in that. And so I started researching a bunch of philosophy and trying to understand. And I even went to a philosophy class when I was in high school. And I remember the philosophy teacher, um, he was great. He would start the roll call by attendance and he would always ask a very random question to each student. And his question to me, believe it or not, was, Tim, okay, here, uh, how many times have you been born? That was his question to me. And I think that he was actually a believer and he was just kind of feeling out the waters a little bit. And I, had no, I didn't know this passage. I didn't know Jesus. I was like, I answered like Nicodemus. I literally said, I've only come out of my mother's womb once, so I've only been born once. I don't understand what you're saying. 
Like, it's just fascinating. That's literally how I answered because I was thinking the same thing as Nicodemus. Jesus, you're not making any sense. You can only be born once. What are you on about? What are you talking about? And I was drawn to Jesus, though. In all of my searchings of philosophy and trying to understand the meaning of reality, I kept being drawn to Jesus over and over and over again, and yet I resisted. You know, I didn't want to believe in Jesus. There were barriers, I would say, to me actually putting my faith and trust in Jesus, and some of those barriers were um, what people would think of me. So similar to Nicodemus, you know, what are people going to think if I actually say I'm a Christian? Ooh, Christians sometimes have a bad reputation. I don't want to be associated with them. Um, I didn't actually know if Christianity was true or not. I didn't want to just take a blind leap of faith into something that's untrue and potentially be duped and tricked into something, believing something that's not real. Um, other barriers, I probably knew that my whole life would have to change if I were to become a Christian. And there were things that I was holding on to that I didn't want to let go of. I, I liked my life how it was, um, and I didn't want to have a complete transformation or change my life. And so there were all these barriers to me actually accepting Jesus as my Savior and as the truth, and there were barriers for Nicodemus as well. And maybe there's barriers for you. You know, wherever you're at with your relationship with Jesus, maybe there are barriers that you wonder I don't know if I want to be associated with this Jesus fellow. I don't know if this is true. I don't want to change my life. So those are real barriers that we all have, and Nicodemus had them too. And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, uh, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Okay, so... He's basically saying, I think, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So just because we are born into this world, uh, it doesn't mean that we have um, eternal life with God. To be born of the flesh is just to be born of the flesh, but there must be another birth, a birth of the Spirit. And this little phrase here, born of water and the Spirit, just briefly, it's actually from probably Ezekiel 36 where um, Ezekiel is saying this to the people. I will sprinkle, this is, he's speaking for God in a way. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There's this relationship between the spirit and water and this this altogether this idea of cleansing, transformation, brand new life that Nicodemus should know about. Don't marvel that I say this to you, Nicodemus. You should know that all throughout redemptive, redemptive history, God has always been about taking someone's life and completely radically transforming it so that they can actually have a relationship with God. And now this is just the pinnacle. This is the culmination of all of that in Christ. You shouldn't marvel at this, Nicodemus. You know this is how God operates, and Nicodemus, I think, still was holding on and not kind of letting go and trusting. Jesus says this next, if you follow along. And he's making a bit of a, a pun here, I think, because the word wind and spirit, they're kind of similar. And so he's like, okay, let me give you another analogy. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And so... 
I think, again, Jesus is saying, look, you think you can see, but you can see just as much as we say we can see the wind. You know, you can't see the wind. You can see its effects. You can see trees blowing. You can see all this kind of stuff, but you actually don't know where it comes from or where it goes or how it's actually operating. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, this is invisible to you. It's invisible to you. You don't have eyes to see this yet. You say that I am from God. If we remember the prologue, Jesus actually is God. <laughs> this is God in the flesh in front of Nicodemus right before his eyes and he's totally missing it. He has missed it. The kingdom of God is as invisible to him as the wind is to us. And so Nicodemus, you're not gonna get this. You're not gonna understand unless something happens. Unless you, I mean, I even think unless you let go, kind of like the wind, if you're clutching to these sails and you know, you're on your boat and you're clutching your sails and you let go, and the wind can fill the sails and you can start moving. I think he's calling Nicodemus to just let go. Trust, like just flying a kite, just let go. Let go of your systems, your structures, your old ways of thinking. And trust me, trust this new way. And then Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And I think, again, I think Nicodemus is a smart guy. You know, I think I have a bit more of a sympathetic read on him than just thinking he has no clue what he's talking about and he's in the dark. I think he's a smart guy and I think we're supposed to feel this angst when we read that. How can this be? Like, you're, you're not making sense. How is this possible? And yet there's this deep urge inside of me to believe you and trust you because I'm drawn to you, but how can this be? And how can I actually do that? How can I actually be born again? I don't understand. And so we're supposed to feel along with Nicodemus this, this angst, this frustration, this questioning. How can these things be? How do we move forward? And Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? I think he's kind of poking fun a little bit. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. So now Jesus is saying, um, you said that you and your posse know who I am. I'm telling you that we actually know who we are. And listen to what he says. We bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus, I don't want to just waste time talking about all of these realities that you're not even going to understand. I'm not going to talk shadows. I'm not going to talk murmurs. You can't even believe, like, how can you believe if I tell you where I've been from? And this is the part that I think Nicodemus's mouth would have dropped. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And Jesus calls himself the Son of Man many times in Scripture. And I think what Jesus is saying is that there is that person who has come from outside the system. You know, we are in our own structures trying to figure out the meaning of life, trying to figure out reality, and Jesus is saying, Look, you're just talking about shadows and murmurs. I actually have been to heaven. <laughs> I am from heaven. Actually, I've been in heaven with God for all of eternity because guess what? I am God. I am the only one who has the authority to speak on these heavenly things. I'm the only one who has the authority to speak on the meaning of life. I'm the only one who has the authority to speak on truth and life. And Nicodemus, you're not getting it. I've actually been there. And I'm crashing into your system. And I'm crashing into your world. And I want to tell you about real life. And then he actually ups the ante, I think, because, you know, it's not just about philosophical reasoning. You know, 
Nicodemus, Jesus, oh, that was a good conversation. I think I learned a little bit more about, about life and thank you, you're a wise teacher. I think Jesus is saying this is actually life or death. You know, I think this is where Jesus is saying, I've actually come on a rescue mission. And Nicodemus, you're trying to understand who I am and you're trying to seek and that's good. Keep doing that. But I'm actually on a rescue mission and the situation is much more dire than you actually understand or think. Um, you know, the matrix, to go back to that, the matrix is falling apart. The software is corrupting. Our world is ending. You know, it's, it, this is more than just trying to understand, you know, what's real and we all kind of have our own view on meaning and reality and we kind of have our own philosophies and, you know, they all get along at the end of the day and isn't that so nice? It's like, no, there is life or death. This is not a game. This world is ending and whether it's the world or it's your own life, the, the, the stakes are high. This is life or death. And then Jesus says an analogy that I think he wants Nicodemus to understand because he knows his Old Testament. He probably heard these stories when he was a little kid, little Nicodemus sitting on his mother's lap hearing about this story. And as, so this is Jesus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so that story is a story from the Old Testament. And Jesus is using it as an analogy to say, look, Nicodemus, this is life or death, and this is how it's like life, life or death. This is from Numbers. This is from the Old Testament that Jesus is referring to. The people are walking in the wilderness. They start complaining to God, and he does this. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So not an easy thing to understand by any means. But what Jesus is saying is that he has come, that he is like that snake lifted up in the wilderness for everyone to look at and be healed. You know, it'd be easy to not look at the snake up on the pole because you're trying to dodge all the snakes around you trying to bite you. But he's saying, stop. Moses is saying, stop. Just look at this. This is a representation of the plague that has befallen you. Just look at this. Simple. Just look and you'll be saved from the snakes. And I think Jesus is giving an analogy that he will be lifted up. And what he's talking about is his crucifixion, that he is actually going to be lifted up on a cross. And he is going to become, just like the snake is a representation of their greatest threat in that moment, Jesus is going to become a representation, the actuality of our greatest forever problem that we've always had as humans, which is sin and death. Jesus is going to become a representation of sin. He's, going to become, he's actually going to die. And what he's saying is, Nicodemus, I'm going to be nailed to a cross, and I'm actually going to take care of your deepest problem, which is sin and death. I've come on a rescue mission, and if you just look, if people just look at the cross, meaning if they trust, believe in what Jesus has done, They'll have eternal life. And that's, I think, mind-blowing to Nicodemus. And I think it's mind-blowing to us. Jesus has come 
into this world. You know, it's, Jesus is the totality of all reality come into the world. Jesus is the truth. If we're looking for the truth, Jesus is the truth embodied in a person, in the God-man. There is meaning, and meaning has a name, and that name is Jesus. There is meaning in this world, and it has come in the form of Christ. There is true life, and he has met us. And you know, it's not about us working our way up to knowing God. It's about God descending by his grace and his mercy to meet us. It's not about us working our way up to be known or to know all these things about God. It's about being known by him. It's not about us getting all of our philosophical understandings of meaning right. It's about meaning breaking through our broken system, our falling apart system, and rescuing us out if only we are to believe in him. I think that's what Jesus is saying. He is meaning come in the flesh. We don't have to know everything in the world. We just have to know him. And it's relational. It's very relational, this trust. You know, I think of my story, again, you know, going back to my 18-year-old self in philosophy class. um, You know, I kept wrestling with who Jesus is, and I remember it so clearly. There was one day where I was just, I was doing dishes. I was just doing dishes, you know, putting dishes in the sink, and I just had to stop, and I was like, I gotta go for a walk. And so I went for a walk, And on that walk, I was just grappling with all these things. Like, Jesus, who are you? And why do I continuously feel drawn to you like a moth to the flame, you know? Like a light in the darkness. And I remember coming to a point um, where all of those barriers that I had before of what will people think of me? Are you actually real? Um, All of those barriers, I just kind of, in an instant, kind of dropped. And I don't remember my exact wording, but it was something like... God, you win. I will, I want to trust Jesus that you're real. I want to know you. And I don't actually know if you're real, but I want to trust you. I give my life to you. Would you please prove yourself to me? And so that was that walk. And that's kind of where my moment of putting my faith and trust in Jesus happened. And I remember vividly looking back, it felt so much more like trusting a person than it did affirming a philosophy. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but it, I didn't feel like I was just ascribing to some sort of new idea or like, yes, I affirm this truth. It, it really was like trusting an actual person who knew me. It was powerful. And you know, I think that is when we hear things like John 3.16, which is the next verse. Keep that in mind. It's a personal knowing. It's a personal trust. This is what Jesus says. Why did he come into the world? Why did he come on this rescue mission? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so God has come on this rescue mission to to rescue us from this fallen world that's falling apart And he wants to bring us into true life, into eternal life with him. And the means by that process is a trusting, personal relationship with Jesus. That's the only way. Like I said, you don't have to know, you don't have to be a philosopher. You don't have to know everything, all the accumulation of all the knowledge of all of history and all of time. You don't have to know all that. It's embodied in Christ. You just have to know Christ. 
That's all you need to know. And, and this personal faith, it's not ascending to some sort of philosophy that I know the meaning of life. It's, it's a loving surrender to Jesus. And I think throughout history, the saints, I think, have gotten this well. Um, just a few quotes from history. God can only be known in devotion. We have faith that's seeking understanding. And Richard um, of St. Victor said this, where there is love, there is seeing. So I don't mean to confuse you with that. All I'm trying to say is the trust and the faith that Jesus is calling each one of us to is not a mental assent to affirm who he is. It's a whole body, whole life, whole devotion, whole affection, surrender to the person of Jesus where you can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. No philosophy can love you. <laughs> That's what I found. Philosophy, it's, it's so different because Jesus is a person, the God-man who came for you. He's on a rescue mission for you, for you, not just for Nicodemus, for you, wherever you're at. Maybe you have been a Christian your whole life. Maybe you have believed for a long time. Maybe you just have head knowledge about Jesus, but it's never been personal in the heart where you actually know him and trust him. Maybe you don't know him at all, and you're, you're like Nicodemus in the dark. You're questioning, you're wondering, Jesus is drawing me. What, what of this man? What do I do with him? In loving surrender to him, you will have eternal life, and you will know the God of the universe. If you allow those barriers to fall, what barriers are blocking you? Are you afraid of what people would think of you if you identify, I am identified with Christ, I know Christ? Are you afraid that it's not true, that it's not rational to believe in Christ? Are you afraid that you will have to change your whole entire life and be born again into a new reality? Do those things put you off of trusting in Jesus? I think Jesus would say, let those all go. Let go, surrender, and that is how you can know the God of the universe. And when I did, I, I did actually feel born again. You know, it wasn't like this massive, amazing fireworks transformation, but I could, the world was different. I could see the, the world in a new way, and I could see God's kingdom in a new way. No longer was it about me earning my way into knowing God. No longer was it about me trying to earn God's love. No longer was it about proving myself or success or status in this world. It's about God loves me. God loves me because he came for me and I have nothing to prove. I have nothing to lose, nothing to gain. I am God's and he is mine. You know, in that kind of a relationship. And so I would say if you're seeking, don't stop at seeking. You know, the Bible, it talks, uh, Jesus himself says in one, in one part in one of the gospels, um, knock and the door will be opened, you know? Seek and you will find. Don't stop at seeking. Don't stop where Nicodemus was in the dark, questioning Jesus. You know, we don't have eternal life by just being a skeptic from the outside. We have eternal life through a warmth of faith, through trusting in him. And you know Nicodemus' story? It doesn't actually stop there. It doesn't. He has this conversation and then later, he actually, like my hunch is that he probably came to identify with Christ in his life. Later, all the Pharisees, I, I didn't put it up here, sorry, but all the Pharisees are gathering around and they're trying to kill Jesus and they want him gone and Nicodemus stands up for Jesus and he says, 
doesn't our law say that we should at least like question him a little bit first and you know get a feel for what he's up to and all of the religious leaders are like do you want to follow Jesus too and they ridicule him and he's slowly starting to be like you know what I'm okay with the scorn of my my peers and then in the final chapters of John we see this John 19 After these things, so after Jesus has been crucified and he's dead, Joseph of Arimathea, Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, just like Nicodemus was, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. That's a lot of perfume. <laughs> I don't know how he carried that, just that's a lot. Um, and they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with spices as with was the burial custom for the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid yet. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And so Nicodemus, I think in the end, imagine that. There's the crucifixion. And Nicodemus is there so closely identifying with Christ that he's taking down his dead, heavy body to the scorn of everyone around him. And I think he doesn't care anymore. I think he's like, I've come to believe this man. (laughs) Think what you will of me, but I've put my trust in him. That's speculation, but I think this is there for that reason, to show us that Nicodemus didn't stop at being a seeker. He actually found. He actually found. And it's possible to actually find Christ. It's possible to actually find the meaning in this universe. It's possible to find truth in life because it's found in the person of Jesus, and you can know him if you trust in him. And so what I'd like to do is um, I'd like to actually invite up the prayer team to kind of the front here, if you wouldn't mind coming up. Um, to the front. I've asked a few people to, to pray. Um, so come on up, prayer team. Um, and what I'd like to do is just close our service in prayer. But what I'd say is, you know, think about these things. But I would also say the time is short. You know, today is the day of salvation. And maybe it's this moment that you want prayer. And, and I would invite you to come on up after the service and, and chat with these lovely people and just Let them pray for you. It doesn't have to be, you know, maybe you're a Christian, you've been a Christian a long time and you're just like, you know, I've been kind of going back to this womb mentality. I've been thinking about status and I've been thinking I can earn God's affection and I've been thinking in this way and I need to just remember that I'm born again and live that way. Or maybe you are seeking and you are thinking right now in this moment, I think I need to trust in Jesus. I don't know how to explain it. These people would love to pray through that and talk through that with you. Or maybe you just have questions about all this and I'd love to chat with you up here. But what I would say is, you know, the time is short. You never know when your life might actually end, you know? So it doesn't have to be in this moment, but maybe this week you're doing dishes and you just think, I need to stop and go for a walk. Do that. Or go talk to someone else about this. Talk to a friend and say, I'm thinking these things. Don't let it stop at you being a seeker you can find. So let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you have, through your son Jesus, come crashing into our closed system, our fallen, broken world. 
Lord, we can't think our way up to you. We can't work our way up to you. Praise be to God that you have come down to us to save us and rescue us. You are so good. You are everything good and beautiful. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would just marvel in that truth that God, you have come in the flesh and you have died for our sins and you've risen to new life and we can share in that new life together. Lord, would we be a people who lives as born again people in a new way, in a new world where we can see and participate in the kingdom of God and we can know the king and we can know his love. Would you just infuse our church with that mentality by your spirit and help us to live in light of that for your world so that we may too go into our world and try to speak this good news to those around us. And Lord, I do pray for the one who might be wondering and questioning and seeking that they would find a friend in Nicodemus and that they would find you. And so we commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.